Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, August 24th. How the military is handling eating disorders among troops. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County is sending out 705 monkeypox vaccine vials to healthcare providers this week. Healthcare providers will reach out to patients who qualify for the vaccine to schedule an appointment. County facilities will continue to vaccinate those who have a documented exposure and those without a healthcare provider. There are now 234 confirmed monkeypox cases in San Diego County. The city of Carlsbad declared a state of local emergency yesterday for bicycle and e-bike safety because of an increase in the number of collisions. There have been 57 collisions involving cyclists this year, and collisions are up 233% since 2019. Officials believe an increase in ridership plays a part in the increase. Declaring a local emergency allows Carlsbad to reallocate resources and expedite or temporarily bypass certain processes. Now the Carlsbad city manager is having the city's police, fire, transportation, and community education departments develop action plans to address the increase in collisions. The plans will be presented to the city council on August 30th. An Alaska Airlines flight from Seattle to San Diego had to make an emergency landing shortly after departure yesterday when the airplane's engine cover detached. The airline reported an unusual vibration on the left side of the plane during the flight. No one was injured in the emergency landing and passengers were booked on other flights to San Diego. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hey, hey, hey. This is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. Some service members and health experts say the military isn't doing enough to prevent and treat eating disorders. Troops are required to meet strict weight limits or risk getting kicked out of the service. That can lead some to take extreme measures that can turn into eating disorders. Desiree Diorio reports for the American Homefront Project. Retired Navy Senior Chief Leah Stiles caused a stir this summer when she posted on social media a personal account of her 20-year career. For years, she desperately tried to hide an eating disorder that's now gotten so bad she's looking for inpatient treatment. This is my life, man. Like, I'm... I'm at the end of things here. Stiles says she got used to purging, restricting her food intake, and over-exercising to pass the Navy's twice-annual weight screenings. Her routine included laxatives, hours in the sauna, and dehydrating herself. 
She remembers failing to make weight once. She was ordered to take off her shirt and be measured in front of her shipmates. I was like, okay, so I'm never doing that again. Like, I'll be making weight from now on. Styles, a two-time Sailor of the Year, wrote to the Navy's top leaders with her ideas to prevent harmful weight loss before it starts. They include a widespread awareness campaign starting in boot camp and medical referrals for sailors who take extreme measures before weigh-in. I know that this is an epidemic that this culture is facing. So I just wanted to come up with something that I could make an impact. There aren't many places for sailors with eating disorders to turn to for help at sea or on land. But some changes are underway. Lieutenant Commander Pamela Gregory is a Navy dietitian. She says she's begun work on a program to streamline health care so that when sailors develop eating disorders, there's a pathway to treatment. We are working with leadership to hopefully bring around a program for this much needed population that has been, in a sense, underserved. Gregory says the program came about partly because Stiles, a high-ranking former senior chief, went public. Hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan and then gone the next day. Gregory's program is just for the Navy. A broader response for the whole military would have to come from the Defense Health Agency. A spokesperson there declined an interview, but said in a statement that nutrition counseling and other medical treatments are available. There's not much data on how prevalent eating disorders are among active duty troops. The Government Accountability Office found fewer than 1,800 troops were diagnosed from 2013 to 2017. That's about a tenth of one percent. But advocates say that's a gross underestimate. That's why Commander Monica Ormeno wants the Defense Department to count how many troops have eating disorders. She's a top psychiatric advisor to the Navy. We really don't know how bad it is. So I think that once we have a better assessment of our forces' eating habits, then we can really talk about a change in culture. And a change in culture has to come with the understanding that weight standards are going to have to be adjusted. Stiles, the retired chief, says she loves the Navy and isn't trying to hurt the organization that she served for two decades. Think about all these sailors and the sailors that are reaching out to me now. There's so many and they're all just like, help me and how do I get help? So I feel like, yeah, as a senior chief, who's going to speak for them? Now, she says her focus is on getting treatment for herself and being a role model for junior sailors. I'm Desiree DiOrio on Long Island. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The board that oversees San Diego law enforcement wants everyone who enters their facilities to get scanned for drugs. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has more. If people being detained in San Diego County jails are dying of drug overdoses, the solution seems simple to Paul Parker. He's the executive officer of the Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board. Contractors and employees and county employees, at minimum, search, pat down, metal detector, something to make sure that people that are being introduced into the facility, no matter who they are, are somehow scanned. 16 people have died so far this year in San Diego County jails. 18 died last year, which was considered the deadliest in over two decades. Any one of us, any one of your listeners, 
could wind up in a county jail tonight. The majority of folks in county jail who are dying are not convicted or sentenced to anything. So I think that we need to remember that these are not throwaway people. A recent report showed that San Diego County jails had the highest rate of overdose deaths in the state based on population. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. Coming up, why later school start times are crucial for kids. We'll have that story and more just after the break. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. A former Motel 6 in Vista will soon be converted into studio apartments with monthly rents that are being billed as lower-cost housing. But KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne talked to one Vista Council member who says at $1,400 a month, the units are hardly low-cost. The Vista City Council has approved the transformation of a former Motel 6 into a studio apartment building. The renovated property will include 75 studio apartments, averaging 375 square feet. The rent will be based on market rates at the time the apartments are rented. That would be around $1,400 per month if they were ready today, according to the property developers. Councilmember Corina Contreras voted against the project, saying the rent is anything but affordable. If we're looking at $1,500 per room at an average of 375 square feet, that's $4 per square foot. That is outrageous. Contreras says brand new luxury studio apartments in Vista with more square footage are going for about half as much. No date has been set on when the units will be available. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. As schools continue to open across San Diego County, start times for many middle and high schools are later in the morning. The change is in response to a late start law in California. The goal is to help young people find more natural sleep patterns, which in turn helps their brain development. Research shows the time change improves student performance and also helps the kids' physical health. Sachin Panda is a professor at the Salk Institute and author of the book, The Circadian Code. 
He joined KPBS's M.G. Perez to talk more about why this change is being made in California schools. So why is moving middle and high school start times later a good idea in your view? Yeah, actually, during this time of human development, the middle schoolers and high schoolers tend to go to sleep later at night and also their internal biological clock tells them to wake up slightly later in the morning. So by having a delayed school start time, we allow the students to catch up anywhere between 30 minutes to one hour of extra sleep. And this sleep improvement also ends up in fewer car crashes in the morning. And more importantly, it improves class attendance and graduation rates. And these results have been seen in many studies in the U.S. as well as in other countries. Many people might not be familiar with the circadian rhythm. Please explain what that term means and why is it important? Yeah, circadian rhythms are the daily timetables of everything in our body um, that relates to brain functions, immune functions, metabolic functions, and also repair and rejuvenation. So that means everything in our body has a perfect time to repair, reset, and rejuvenate. And in this specific a context, we know that sleep is very important and sleep happens at nighttime. We cannot compensate for nighttime loss of sleep by napping too much at daytime. And when we sleep at night, our brain cells strengthen their connection with each other. And as a result, what we learn during daytime can be consolidated and stored better at night during our sleep. So that leads to potential improvement in learning and memory. How will we know whether the late start at schools actually does help health and the performance of students? What will be measurable to determine that? Yes. So there are many studies, particularly one study where I was involved was in Seattle School District, where two different schools start time was delayed by an hour back in 2017. And, what, and we went back and objectively measured, particularly attendance and grades, because that's what immediately matters to uh, both students, parents, and also teachers. What we found was on an average, these students slept 34 minutes longer. And people usually think that when students sleep more than they're studying less, but in fact, these students also had better attendance, their tardiness went down significantly, and their grades improved by up to 5%. There are some long-term studies done in Europe up to four years of the impact of longer sleep time or delayed school start time, and they have also found similar results. Are there other sleep-related changes that you think we should make? So sleep has been important for many things. When our sleep is disrupted, then we also see more incidences of acid reflux, bloating, which may be just inconvenience, but we also see increased incidences of irritable bowel syndrome, which many pediatricians will say that the incidence of IBS and gut diseases are actually alarmingly increasing among teenagers, specifically middle schoolers and high schoolers. So we should be mindful, we should Keep an eye to see whether this late school start time improves their gut health. And second is, we also know that 
sleeping less increases our craving for unhealthy junk food and that is related to increased obesity and insulin resistance that is also rising among teenagers and many uh, pediatricians will also uh, mention this so it will be also interesting to see whether we can combine delayed school start time with some health education at school to improve our kids health because at the end of the day we really need healthy kids for healthy future that was sachin panda a professor at the Usulk Institute and author of the book, The Circadian Code, speaking with KPBS's M.G. Perez. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.